relationships. And if you have relationships, this message is going to come in handy one day. Because if you have relationships, you will notice that hand in hand with relationships comes conflicts in relationships. Isn't that true? Relationships. Now, if you live by yourself, have you heard the person who never had any conflicts in his life because he lived in Alaska in a little hut all by himself and he thought that he was the most agreeable, the most loving, the best guy ever until he left his little hut and had to have relationships with other people. Now, up there in the picture, you see a couple holding a hand with a Bible in between. And uh, yes, what we're going to talk about does apply to romantic relationships, but it applies also to any type of relationship. So I want to encourage you to take notes. Are you guys ready? You got the paper in hand? You got a pen? You got something to write with? If you don't, look at the purse of your neighbor next to you. See if they have something extra there that they can let you borrow. Uh, And then we're going to get right into our message for today. Healthy relationships, the secrets of peace. And so we begin with our verse uh, for today, which is found in Romans chapter 12 and verse 19 that says very clearly, don't what? Don't quarrel with who? With anyone. It's talking about all those relationships you have or will have. Be at peace with everyone just as much as is possible. Just as much as is possible. You see, Jesus, when He gave His great message on the mount, one of His clear things that He said that stands out in our minds is He said, Blessed are the peacemakers. And so today, the goal is that we can learn how to be peacemakers. Now, before we get into how to become a peacemaker and how to go about peace in our relationships, we have to understand what peace is and what peace is not. Because there are certain misconceptions about peacemaking. So the two major misconceptions is that peace is not avoiding a problem. Some people think they are peacemakers because whenever conflict arises, whenever there's an issue, they run away from it. Before I I, I get in an argument, before there's a disagreement, I'm just going to run away from this situation. Peace is not running from a problem, ignoring an issue, or pretending it doesn't exist like sticking your your head in the sand like some animals do. A lot of people simply avoid issues rather than face them. When something comes up, they'll say, I I just don't want to talk about it, or I don't want to make waves. But an unresolved issue is like termites in your house. Have you ever had termites in your house? You could have the most beautiful wallpaper. You could have the most beautiful paint. Everything looks, looks beautiful in your home. Everything looks good. But underneath the surface, what are the termites doing? They're chewing away at that wood. They're chewing away at the structure. And sooner or later, no matter how beautiful the exterior looks, that house is going to come crumbling down. And so ignoring a problem, ignoring a conflict, walking away from those issues does not mean you're a peacemaker. 
It just means that termites are doing their work in that relationship. And really, it comes down to having a cowardice. Peacemaking does not mean I'll just ignore the problem and run from it. And so, the call to be a peacemaker is a call to confront the conflicts. Now, peacemaking, the other misconception about peacemaking, is that peacemaking is not appeasing another person for the sake of peace. In other words, always giving into your ways, telling the other person to have your way, do your way, you are more being manipulated than being a peacemaker. And so God does not expect Christians to be doormats. Have you ever had someone try to use that against you? Aren't you a Christian? You should do what I want. You should do what I say. Aren't you a Christian? You should, you should put me ahead of you. And so it becomes something of a manipulation when it's just appeasing to make peace. So Christians are not supposed to be doormats. We are not supposed to avoid problems. Christians are supposed to be peacemakers in every relationship that you have. And so, how can we be peacemakers? Well, we are going to use the acronym PEACE, so it sticks in your mind, right? To always remember how to be a peacemaker. And so the first step of becoming a peacemaker is plan a peace conference. Plan a what? Plan a peace conference. Now, some of you might remember uh, the name of this man. Uh, it was before my time. But how many of you remember President Anwar Sadat? Anwar Sadat. Does anybody remember that name? Do you remember what country he was a president of? He was the president of Egypt. And he is well known because he fought a war against, Egypt, against Israel and he was considered a military hero because here was this, you know, general who fought against the Israelites. And in the Middle East, if you're Arab, that's like a great thing, right? You're at war with Israel. And so he was considered a military hero. All the Arabs looked up to him. But he had a major relationship problem with the nation of Israel. There was conflict there. There was problems and he earned, or they gave him the peace prize, the Nobel Peace Prize, because he decided to be the first Arab in a long time to go visit Israel and sit down for a peace conference. The peace conference actually took place after he visited Israel, and it happened here in the United States. I think the president was, who was the president back then, Jimmy? Jimmy Carter, and it was a David Accords, and it's that famous picture. There is Jimmy Carter with the biggest smile on his face, right? Because this is his defining moment, bringing these two conflicted groups together, and as they shake their hands, there he is. But it was not him that started the process. It was this Egyptian president, Anwar Sadat, who took the initiative and said, let's sit down and talk about it. So number one means, plan a peace conference means peacemakers always take the initiative. Peacemakers always take the initiative. 
Matthew chapter 5, verse 24 tells us, If you remember that your brother has something against you, go at once to make what? To make peace. So the beauty about this first step is that it doesn't matter if you are the one who has been offended or if you're the one who has offended someone. The ball is always in your court. Whether you have been hurt or whether you have hurt someone, if you are to be a peacemaker, the call is to take the initiative and ask that person for a sit-down so that you can have a peace conference, a face-to-face peace conference. And so... When do you do this peace conference? You don't wait until they're in bed and getting ready to sleep and say, I need to talk to you right now. You don't say it when they're hungry and tired and pressured and say, you know what, we need to have a conversation. No, you do it when it's most convenient for for them. When they're relaxed, when they're happy, when everything is as best as it could be, that's when you ask them. When it's convenient and well for them, go to your brother, go to your sister, go to your friend, go to your son, go to your daughter, go to your employer, go to whoever it is you have relationship conflicts with and take the initiative, whether you have been offended or you have offended them, and say, can we please sit down? I would like to speak with you. Be a peacemaker. The Bible tells us in Psalms chapter 34 and verse 14, Depart from evil, evil, and do good. Seek peace and what? Pursue it. So that means that the peacemakers are taking the initiative. They're running after pursuing peace. Are you pursuing peace in every relationship? Are you kind of putting it to the side, forgetting it, saying, ah, it would just blow over? No, the Bible tells us peacemakers should be the ones taking the initiative, running after peace. The second step in having a healthy relationship with peace in it is empathize with their feelings. Empathize with their feelings. Once you sit down, once you sit down for this peace conference, what do you do? The first thing you do, or the natural inclination, the first thing to do is to begin speaking, right? You call the peace conference. You've taken the initiative. So let me begin to, to tell you what it is. What is this about? But here, the suggestion is that maybe the first step should be to listen. Because you can't empathize with their feelings unless you listen to them. So instead of sitting down and saying, this is a problem, this is my issue, say, there's some conflict between us, please tell me from your perspective what the issues are. The Bible tells us in 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 8, be full of sympathy toward each other, loving one another with tender hearts and humble minds. And so the Bible's calling us to be sympathetic to one another. So when you have a problem with someone, the first step is listening. Because listening shows that you care, shows that you have sympathy. And people don't care how much you know until they, they know how much you care. And so listening is the first step. 1 Peter chapter uh, 3, verse 7 tells us, Husbands should try to understand their wives. Now, 
I know that uh, Sigmund Freud once said, despite my 30 years of research into the feminine soul, I have not yet been able to answer the great question, what does a woman want? So the Bible is very clear. It doesn't say, understand your wives. What does it say? Try. Try. Come on. Give it a try. In other words, make an effort, right? Try to empathize with their feelings. Sympathize with what they're going through. And this applies not only to wives, but to all people you're in a relationship. The first step is to try to listen to them. Because what's the point of being on speaking terms when you're not on listening terms? What's the point of being on speaking terms when you're not in listening terms? And so the Bible is calling us to not sit down at this peace conference and state what our position is first, but ask them to share what they think. And so Romans chapter 15 verse 2 says, Be considerate of the doubts and fears of others. We need to be considerate of their doubts and their fears. We need to understand where those emotions, where those words, and where those actions are coming from. Whenever I'm doing counseling and relationships, um, I always try to encourage the husbands and the wives that when they're hearing their loved ones say words, to not react to the words, but to react to the feelings behind the words. Because sometimes we're saying things, but we're really trying to express an emotion behind those words. And so if a husband comes uh, home late from work and the wife says, you're always late. You never make it on time for dinner. You're, you're, you're not around the house. I can never count on you. And the husband says, well, I've only been late two times this week. And in fact, I've been keeping track of how many hours I'm spending at the house. What you're saying is not really fact. You see, that's reacting to the, to the words. But, but what is a wife really trying to say? I don't feel special in your life. I don't feel valued. I don't feel important. And so we need to be considerate of the doubts and fears of others so that we can empathize with them. Don't look out only for your own interests but take an interest in others too. Isn't the Bible very clear? There's no way around that. And in fact, in uh, Philippians chapter 2, verse 4, in another translation, it says, none of you should think only of his own affairs, but consider other people's interests too. You know what the word um, consider is in Greek? In Greek, the word consider other people's interests is the word skopos. That word scopos is used in the English language for a telescope, a microscope, and a stethoscope. So the scopos literally means to focus on, to pay attention. So you know, my daughter and I went uh, to this uh, place in Midland, this place where you could walk up in the trees, and they have this, uh, they build these ramps up in the tree. It's a beautiful place. It's like a force in the air. And we went to this uh, little place there where they had microscope. 
I never knew my daughter had never seen a microscope in her life before. It's amazing. We have little children. They're discovering new things all over. And so she sat down, and we looked at a little bit of a leaf. And the leaf, she sees leaves all the time. They're not interesting. They're not important. We rake them up and we burn them. What's so special about leaves? But all of a sudden, that same leaf that she had no interest in, when she put it under the microscope and looked for the first time in her life into a microscope, she saw things that she had never seen before, things that she had not noticed, things that her natural eye could not see. And her eyes lit up. And now for Christmas, I'm supposed to get her a microscope or something. And so the Bible's telling us to take but take an interest, a word there is scope, to look deeper, to look closer upon the other person so that we can empathize with their feelings. And sometimes we're only dealing with the surface language. We need to look deeper within. That is the second step. The third step is to attack the problem, not the, the person. Attack the problem and not the person. This is tricky. But I assure you, it can be learned. On the one hand, you've got to attack the problem in your relationship honestly, whether it's a friendship, whether it's a partnership, a marriage, or whatever. You've got to deal with it. No beating around the bush. You've got to call a spade a spade. You have to say something is wrong when it's wrong, that it's not right, and that honestly say there's something wrong in our relationship. But on the other hand, you need to attack the problem without attacking the person. So you need to speak the truth compassionately. The Bible says that we need to speak the truth. It says a bold reproof promotes peace. A bold reproof promotes peace. So we need to face the facts of a relationship is not going well. But when we are speaking, we also need to remember that we need to speak the truth in love, growing in every way more and more like Christ who is the head of his body, the church. And so when we speak the truth boldly, but we speak it in love, that means we're becoming more and more like Jesus, more and more like the way Jesus dealt with relationships. Jesus spoke the truth boldly, but he did it with compassion. He attacked the problem, not the person. And so Jesus hated the sin, Jesus hated the sin, but loved the, the sinner. And like I said before, our problem is that we love the sin and hate the, the sinner. So we need to become more like Jesus and speak the truth boldly, but speak it in love, attacking the problem and not the person. And so, don't, Ephesians chapter 4 verse 29 tells us exactly how to do that. It says, do not use foul or abusive language. Let everything you say be good and helpful so that your words will be an encouragement to those who, who hear them. Oh, if we would only follow the simple instructions of the Bible, right? It's like sometimes we're looking for the magic potion. Oh, God, heal my relationship. He's like, well, let's start with the basics. Don't use foul or abusive language. How about step one? That's a good step, right? So here the Bible is teaching us about the importance of being bold and speaking about the problems in your relationship, but being bold in a way that doesn't attack the person, but attacks the problem. And so I'm going to give you just quickly 
some ground rules, seven rules for fighting fair in a relationship. When you're speaking about something that needs to be addressed in your relationship. And I don't think this is in your, oh, there it is. Okay, so seven rules for fighting fair in a relationship. It might not be on your sheet. So number one is when you're speaking in this conference, when you're empathizing, when you're ready to talk about the issues, the problems that you're facing in your work relationships, in your friend relationships, in your marriage relationship, whatever it may be, when you talk, never compare. Never say things like, why can't you be like so-and-so? Mm, that's that's going to get you in the wrong place. Or don't say things like, you're just like your mother. Oh, don't say that. Don't say that. That's not going to re- lead to a resolution in that conflict. So don't, never compare. Uh, don't say things like, you're just like my first wife. <laughs> you're just like my, you're just like whatever it is. You know, don't compare. Number two, never condemn. Never condemn. Don't say you should or you ought or it's all your fault. Don't talk in absolutes. Whenever you start a sentence with you, it's often a condemnation. Have you noticed that? When you're trying to resolve issues and you say, you, you, usually the next things that follow are a condemnation. So how to fix that? Well, you can change it and say, we've got a problem here. So it's not you, but it's we. Or you could talk about yourself. It seems to me, or I feel like, so that it's not condemnation language. Number three, never command. Never end an argument by force. So you talk and you say, I demand that you do what I say, or you better do what I say. They are adults that we're dealing with, usually in relationships. We must treat them like adults. Never challenge. Don't threaten people. Just try that and see what happens. And usually, unfortunately, in a marriage relationship, the threats involve divorce. If you don't change, or you better, you better strain up because I, I, I feel like we're headed for a divorce, so I'm, I'm ready to walk out of this relationship. And so we need to be careful about never using that kind of language and challenging people. Never condescend, number five. Never belittle, ridicule, or play the psychologist. Have you guys played the psychologist when you're having arguments before? It's like uh, you're talking and all of a sudden you become a, a mind reader or you become a professional psychologist with all these PhDs, degrees behind you, and you say things like, I know why you do that. I know why you're acting like that. And you start diagnosing them. And I think that's so unfair because sometimes we can't even figure ourselves out and why we do things, and we definitely cannot give motives to other people. So don't condescend. Never contradict. Don't interrupt someone in the middle of a sentence. Wait to take your turn to, to talk. And number seven, never confuse. Never bring up unrelated issues where you sidetrack or create diversions. Stick to the main issue. Have you had that happen before? Where you're talking about a certain issue, and all of a sudden, well, five years ago, we're like, what? Where did that come from? What are you talking about five years? We're talking about what happened yesterday. But, but forget about yesterday. What about five years ago? Whoa, whoa. So don't create diversions when you're dealing with something that you sat down to talk about. So we 
move on to the next one. Getting close to the end here. Cooperate as much as possible. Try to find areas of common ground where you can be flexible, where you can meet in the middle, where you can give a little and receive a little. Compromise, healthy compromise, is essential. And so Romans chapter 12, verse 18 says, If it is possible, as much as depends on you, live peaceably with all men. So, it's about, if possible, give as much as you can to meeting in a middle ground with those who you are in a relationship with. Did you know that more marriages die from inflexibility than from adultery, abuse, alcohol, or anything else? And you know that because in most divorces, it says, in, was it, what is the cause? In, irreconcilable differences. In other words, we're just incompatible, right? We just, we just don't fit. And uh, some of the older generation smiling like, oh, this new generation, right? We just, we just made it happen, right? Well, it happens that studies are showing that there's really no such thing as incompatibility. Uh, one of our leading uh, psychiatrists in America, Dr. Paul Tournier, says so-called incompatibility is a myth invented by jurists in order to plead for divorce. It is likewise just a common excuse people use just to hide their own failings. Misunderstandings and mistakes can be corrected when there is a willingness to do so. The problem is lack of complete frankness. In other words, he says, I don't believe in incompatibility exists. Almost any two people are compatible if they try to be. Did you hear that? If they try to be. And so that's why it says we must cooperate as much as possible. We need to make an effort to get along with people who we're not getting along with right now. And, and maybe right now that, that person's face or that name or that situation is coming right to your mind right now. And you're saying, I just can't work with that person. It's impossible. We just can't work together. We, I, I need to find another job. Or that teacher, I don't know, they have, must have something personally against me. I can't deal with that person. We, I just need to transfer, drop out, or redo this class with someone else, right? Or my wife, well, when I married, I, I thought that she was going to be this way, but she's this way, and I, I can't live. That, we're just incompatible. Well, leading psychologists and psychiatrists are saying no such thing. No such thing. Anybody can be compatible if they, they try. There needs to be a, a middle ground, if possible, with not compromising the things that make you a Christian, the things that are your moral compasses. And so, James chapter 3, verse 17 says, But the wisdom that is from above is pure, then peaceable, gentle, willing to what? Yield. Willing to yield, full of mercy and good fruits, without partiality and without hypocrisy. And so, this wisdom from above, wisdom to help your relationship, will give you a willingness to yield in some areas. And that's okay. Sometimes the middle ground is okay. And so, we must seek to do that as much as possible. So, the last one we get to is emphasize reconciliation, not 
resolution. What does that mean? What's the difference between the two anyway? Well, reconciliation means to reestablish the relationship. Resolution means to resolve every issue. There's a big difference, right? What are you shooting for? To resolve every issue? To have no disagreements? To, to think rights alike in everything and every way? Are you seeking to reestablish that relationship with that person? I would suggest that we should shoot for reconciliation. So, we are all shaped differently, and uh, God has given us different things to shape you. Your spirituality, your gifts, your heart, your unique abilities, your personality, your experiences. All these things make you who you are. And uh, you cannot become like someone else in every single way. And so we are called to be reconciled, not to become exactly like others. Now all things are of God, who has reconciled us to Himself through Jesus Christ, and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. I like that. We have a ministry of re-establishing relationships. Do you get that? So God has called Christians to be peacemakers. Not only should we help other people be reconciled in their relationships, we should also be reconciled in our relationships with others, and ultimately, we should help sinners be reconciled to a relationship with, with God. And so we have a ministry of reconciliation. But, you know, it's hard to be giving this ministry of reconciliation if we ourselves are not reconciled with some people. It's like um, when you go to the gym and uh, there's personal trainers. Have you guys seen personal trainers? Have you ever received personal training by someone in the gym? Well, it's pretty expensive. I've never done it myself. But um, what's funny is that uh, many times there are people who are training others how to be fit and healthy and muscular. But then you look at the personal trainer and you're like... Oh, I'm not sure if uh, something's off here. Um, you know, the personal trainers having their own health issues, you could say. And so you're looking at this, and there's this person getting personally trained. And then there's someone who's sitting there on their phone telling them, oh, good job, good job. And, and it seems like maybe they should switch places here, right? And so you think, wow, um, how can you be telling other people to get in shape and be fit when you're struggling in that area, right? And so it's like, Christians, we're calling people who are sinners, be reconciled with Jesus Christ. Sin has separated from you, you from Him. And God is calling you back into that relationship. Be reconciled with Jesus, sinner. But then we look at our own life. And I'm not reconciled with my employer I'm not reconciled with a church member who's sitting across the aisle. I'm not reconciled with my husband. I'm not reconciled with my wife. I'm not reconciled with my mother or father. And if people come to realize, they'll be like, how are you calling me to reconcile with Jesus when you have your own reconciliation issues in your life? And so this is part of ministry. It's not just help for your relationships in life. This is your witness. If we have conflicts with people that are unresolved, it affects our witness for Jesus Christ. 
And so the call this morning is to be peacemakers. And so just to summarize, we are called to be peacemakers by, number one, planning a peace conference. Number two, empathize with their feelings. Number three, we are called to attack the problem, not the person. And number four, cooperate as much as possible. And number five, emphasize reconciliation, not resolution. And so when I think about this message of reconciliation, I am so encouraged that the Bible has given us the blueprints. I'm so encouraged that Jesus Christ has come and given us an example of reconciling us to, to Him. So we have the blueprints. We have the, we have the example. We have the power through the Holy Spirit because through Him we can do all things no matter how difficult that unresolved conflict looks like. But too many times as Christians, we seem to want to hide the problems. We seem to want to hide it behind a suit, behind our, our, our Sabbath best, behind a smile, behind whatever you're hiding. And God is calling you to confront the issues in your relationships in a healthy and a building manner. Jesus Christ has given the blueprint. I shared a little bit of that with you this morning. He is the example, and He promises you the power today. And so, when I think of unresolved conflicts, it's something that could eat away at our church, or we could deal with it and bring in the fumigators. We could bring in the poison and, and kill and destroy that by following these simple steps. And so... How many of you said have a relationship again? Would you raise your hand? Would you raise your hand? Okay. Raise your hand. Raise your hand. Now close your eyes. Close your eyes. Raise your hand. Raise your hands. You all have relationships. Raise your hands. All right. Close your eyes. Bow your heads. How many of you have an unresolved conflict in one of those relationships? Keep your hands up. If you have an unresolved conflict in one of those relationships, keep your hands up. Because today, Jesus Christ is calling you to take action in that relationship. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, you've seen our, the hands, you've seen our needs, and Father, you have given us a blueprint. You have given us an example through your Son, Jesus Christ, and you have promised us the power of your Spirit to help us but Lord, we need to take the initiative. And I pray that this message this morning would be the beginning, the first step that will lead to a relationship that is not causing pain, discomfort, or hurts, or, or just exasperation. I pray that love, kindness, peace, understanding would come through this morning. Give them power as they leave this church and they go home, and they get on their computer to write that email to plan that conference, or they get on the phone to call that person to plan that conference, or they go to that house and ask for an appointment, whatever they need to do to connect with this unresolved relationship conflict, I pray that you give them the strength. In the name of Jesus Christ, we all say, Amen.
Blessed are the peacemakers. 